Well, as we recognize this morning the truth of God's promises, as we've already seen it pictured in this beautiful display of the baptism of Lily Joy, we now get the chance to move from that sign and picture into the glorious words that are given to us here in Philippians 4, 8 through 9. If you have your Bibles, you might look on with me or just follow along in the bulletin that is presented to you. Before we read this text of Scripture, I want to just remind you that we were in this text. If you were with us last week and maybe joining us via live stream, um, we were in this text, and I I did a a flyover of this text, just kind of looked over all of the verses, looking at its grammar, looking at its theology, and and I said we're going to slow down in these verses because, as you know, these services, these beginning services, are going to be abbreviated. They're going to be shorter than our normal services. And I said, let's not bite off more than we can chew. Let's, let's take small nuggets from God's Word and let's savor them. And that's what we're doing, returning back to this passage today. One of the things we said about this word from Paul in Philippians 4.8 is these six virtues that he gives us in this passage, which we'll read just momentarily, uh, the virtues of 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 truth and honor, uh, of justice and purity, of loveliness and commendability. And as Paul urges us to have our minds captured, captivated thinking about these virtues, we said that scholars have looked at this text and they've noticed a bit of an ancient paradigm showing up. We might even say an ancient triad of virtues. As they begin to study the relationship between the six virtues, they begin to see with those first two, truth and honor, a real focus upon the dignity of truth, the honor that we should give to truth. And so the focus is on truth. And then in the the middle two, on justice and and purity, focusing on righteousness and focusing upon being pure before the Lord is really a focus on goodness. And then those final two on loveliness and commendability uh, are really a picture of the expression of how these things come together. When truth and goodness come together beautifully and they have an effect in the world, it's beautiful to us. And what we see in that triad is truth, goodness, and beauty. Uh, This was a common triad known to the Philippians uh, that Paul is writing to and one that Paul himself is a Greco-Roman scholar Uh, A man of his own period and time would have known that triumvirate. And it seems as if he's building at least on some of those themes. But what he's doing is he's taking the things that were in the world at the time and he's informing them with biblical and gospel truth. He says, you think you know about truth and goodness and beauty. Well, let me tell you from the word of God. Let me show you through the face of Christ how these virtues take on an entirely different hue, an entirely different color. As we look at this text together today, we're going to focus on the first of those, those virtues. We're going to focus on truth. How is it that truth, as we think about it, gets us to the end of this passage, which he says, if we think and practice these virtues, guess what's going to happen? The God of peace will be with you. The God of peace will be with you. How is it that truth leads us to peace? And how is it that we right now in a sea of turmoil and chaos and change and upheaval, how is it that we can remain in peace because our minds are stayed on him? Let's answer that question as we look to the text together. Philippians chapter 4, beginning in verse 8. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure... Whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, 
think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me. Practice these things. And the God of peace will be with you. The grass withers. The flower fades. But the word of our God will stand forever. Amen. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we have now heard your word read in the presence of your people. And we now attend to this word. And we ask that you, through the power of the Holy Spirit, would have it be to us a living word, a transformative word, that brings light into our dark souls and brings change that we might grow from one degree of glory to the next. Hear this request and answer it, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it was a few weeks ago and has been now for um, a few, last few days particularly, I've been asking uh, people, uh, what has this pandemic meant for you? What has this season been like uh, for you? And asking um, to see what the Lord has been up to. How has he been, uh, ref- how has he been at work in the lives and hearts of us as his people. As I was uh, talking to one such uh, friend this week, I, I began to talk about various crises that um, I personally kind of passed through and others have passed through, moments of fear, moments of great concern. And I said, it seems to me that there's been more, of a health, more than a health crisis, um, though that's been very true, that there's been more than an, than an economic crisis, though that has certainly been true. But there has been a, a belief crisis, a, a trust crisis that's, that's happened across our nation, maybe across the globe, and even in many of the hearts, maybe right here in this room, or, or those of you joining us via live stream, that you've, you've noticed there's a crisis there's a shaking, the kind of the, the mental landscape of your life has been shook. And the things that you had once trusted in or depended on, you, you, you find are different than you would have ever expected. They're, they're not as trustworthy as you had thought them to be. I admit to this person as I was speaking to them about it, that when I first heard the news of the virus, I it was way away. It was in China. It was, it, was a, it was in a place that I didn't even know existed and didn't even wouldn't know how, where to find it on the map in terms of its territory. And I thought, there's a little blip on the radar in terms of the media. I didn't pay much attention. And then I hear it spreading. The situation in Italy becomes dire. And I begin reading the media reports. I go, I probably should begin to dial into this. But in the back of my mind, I begin to say, this is not going to affect me. This is not going to affect us. Good Middle Tennessee folks in Nashville and Franklin. This is a long way away, and 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 plus we live in a in a, in a first world context with with advanced medical capabilities, and and we have some of the best hospitals right here in Middle Tennessee. We're we're well taken care of. In the back of my mind, I just sort of you know those are other people's troubles. And then I heard that the first case was diagnosed in Williamson County. And I thought from China to Italy to all over the world, now here in Middle Tennessee, and I begin to get the reports and, and fear begin to rise up in, in my, my heart. And, and it was on the heels of being utterly shocked that this kind of thing would happen to us. And that's how it felt for me. That it would happen to us. Surely it'll happen to, to other people. 
you know, you know, third world countries and, and others. And surely it happened in the past, like in the 14th century when the bubonic plague swept through Europe or, or the cholera outbreak here in the Victorian period. It's sure it'll happen in certain contexts where, uh, where they didn't have the things that we had. But now as it began to come home to roost, and this virus was knocking on the door of Franklin, Tennessee, I began to realize that I had believed something that wasn't true. That I had put my trust in things. Subconsciously, I would have never told you this, you understand. I would have never even been aware of it. The Lord has been provoking it in my own heart and soul. I begin to be aware of the fact that, that I actually thought that we could manage these things with human power, with, with human ability, with the experts and the technologies and the resources that we have available at our fingertips here. This was never going to be such an issue for us. And now I was shocked in disbelief that this would come to where we are. Now, as I began to talk to others, I began to realize that, that others felt the same way. They were utterly shocked. They couldn't believe that this was actually taking place here. And what was happening was the Lord was actually revealing that we had trusted in, depended in, relied on theories, projections, ideas, subconscious conceptions of the power of the world and the means of men as a way to shield us from the dangers around us. And as I began to realize was that I had not been operating in this capacity on truth. Now, maybe some of you, as you're hearing me say that, you go, I recognize some of that. I recognize those realities in my own heart. And, and, and maybe just to note, this is something that happens all the time for us. Not just in virus time or pandemic time. This happens when you, when you read the specs on a, on a car that you're thinking about buying, and, and, and everyone tells you it's a dependable car, it's a great car, it's a Honda Accord, right? It's going to be a great, it's a Toyota Camry, it's going to be a great car. The expenses are going to be low, and, and, and gas mileage is pretty good. This is a dependable car, and then you buy the car, and, and a month later, news comes out, there's a tragic flaw in the transmission of this car. And you had trusted, you had read, you, you knew the experts, and then all of a sudden the experts missed something, and there, was, there were things that were wrong with the car that you would have never imagined. It's going to cost you all kinds of money and all kinds of trouble. And you think to yourself, this car was not what I thought it was. We've been in relationships with people where we have done a business deal or we've trusted them with a secret, and they've gone back and they've stabbed us in the back. They've betrayed us, and we've been utterly shocked that they have done this. And we've been shocked because we thought we knew them. And what has happened is they weren't who we thought they were. We've come to a different conclusion based upon the experience of things. This happens all the time with us. But in this case, it happened at a global level. And the stakes were a lot higher. And when it happened at a global level and the stakes were a lot higher and, and the more that we were seeking for answers, the more the answers seemed to be confusing. In fact, when we sought for answers, you, you remember this, you, you've done this. You're like, I, I need to find out how to take care of myself and my family. So you turned on the news and that was helpful. And, and you wanted to get the, the latest information. You want to get as accurate. And then you watch the news for a while and you think, I'm going to go crazy watching the news about this going on because people are saying two different things. I have no idea what it is that's going on. And then what happens is in the midst of the uncertainty, then fear rises. 
And then when you realize that the people that you usually trust to give you the information that you need around such things can't necessarily be trusted, or at least in some way, shape, or form disagree over the nature of it, that's when fear goes to panic. And you know what all of us did? We went to the store immediately and bought all the toilet paper. And I have no idea why we did that. I have no, I have no idea why we did that. But that's what happens when fear irrationally goes to panic. And we begin, as we seek for answers and direction, we get not only more confusion and uncertainty. Why is it that when our assumptions or beliefs culturally or our own personal assumptions that we may not have even known where they are subconsciously begin to be shaken, that the fear and the panic begins to rise? Why does that happen? Well, I'd like to suggest something to you. That what you believe about the world, what you believe about you, what you believe about your government, what you believe about this virus, whatever, whatever it is you believe, it sets expectations for how you live, for, for how you move through life. It sets your expectations. And so when your beliefs begin to be challenged, your expectations for what's going to happen begin to change. And when you can't get a firm belief around something, then you don't know what to expect. And you live in this very strange, difficult unknowingness and mystery. Some of you have probably had diseases that you've, you've not been able to get to the bottom of. Or you know people who have diseases that they've not been able to get to the to the bottom of, and you've taken tests, and you've gone to this expert and that expert, and you've gone to, to, to holistic medicine doctors, and you've gone to, 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 to the medical care at, at Williamson Medical Center, and you, you've, gone, you've gone to all the places, and nobody can tell you what, what's wrong with you. And very often, in praying through those things and walking through those things, you know what I hear, and you know what I've said when I've had to walk through that personally? Is the hardest part is not knowing. The hardest part is not knowing. There's a mystery around not knowing. You don't know what it is you're facing. And it freaks you out. It causes you great fear. In the midst of that context, Paul says, think on what is true. That's what Paul says. Paul says, think on what is true. What do you know? Do you see in one way, Everything has changed about our lives. But in the most fundamental way, nothing has changed about our lives. Nothing has changed about our lives. The Apostle Paul is talking to the church at Philippi. This is a church that's experiencing persecution. It's a church that we know from our previous passages dealing with strife, internal challenges. They're fearful of their circumstances. They don't know how things are going to go. We know that because in verses 6 and 7, as a part of the context of these verses, he says, be anxious for nothing. Why would he challenge them to be anxious for nothing if they weren't anxious? He, he knows there's anxiety. He knows there's worry. And he says, I want you to pray unto God. I want you to give your cares up to God. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, with prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. He says, open up your heart to God. Cast your cares to God. Now, so many of us in that moment will just go, God, I don't know what to do. Help me. Amen. Now, that's a perfectly fine prayer. We see those kinds of prayers in the Bible. Sometimes we don't even have the words to know how to pray. I will find my time, my, myself at times trying to pray, and I will have 
That I will say to the Lord, Lord, listen to the groanings of the Holy Spirit within me who groans with words that are deeper than words because I don't know what to say and I trust him. Lord, know my heart. Search me, as the psalmist would say. Sometimes that's a very good prayer. But when we begin to really stew in the truth, you know what begins to happen? Our prayers become full, vibrant, strong. Our communion with the Lord begins to have confidence and hope to it. You see, that's what's going on in this text. He said, be anxious for nothing. With prayer and supplication, let your requests be made known to God. Now, finally... Here's the mind you need to have to pray in the way that you need to pray. You think of prayer, what is it? It's a relationship between you and God. And a relationship's intimacy and communion is based on how well the two people know each other. On how well the two people know each other. Now here's a a great reality. Um, God knows you much better than you know him. Yeah, he, he knows you, which is why he can, he can meet needs and, and come to you and care for you in ways that you're like, I didn't even think of praying about that, and he took care of it. You know, you know, that's the beautiful thing about our God is he knows our needs. He knows exactly what we need. We, however, don't know him as well as he knows us, which means we have to take time thinking about the truth. You think of how different it is when you begin to pray in a way that um, is full of the truth. So, so we're, we're worried, and we begin to think, what does the Bible tell me about God's control? It tells me that he works all things after the counsel of his will, Ephesians 1.11. It tells me that he sits in the heavens and he does whatever it is that he pleases, Psalm 135.6. He tells me that he raises up kings and he lowers kings, that he, he gives life and he takes away life. And none can deliver us out of his hand, Deuteronomy 32, 39. And then in the word, I find out that his, whole, his sovereignty over all things that take place in the world is actually directed towards me in loving care. He says, are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them falls to the ground without your heavenly Father knowing about it, but even the hairs of your head are numbered. Now, mine are getting thin. And yet he knows each one that falls out. Every morning in the shower, he knows the ones that fall out. Fear not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. He's not going to break a bruised reed. He's not going to snuff out a smoldering wick. He's tender to the brokenhearted and to those who are crushed in spirit. He's merciful to those who cry out to him because he is working all things together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Now pray. Now pray. It's not a desperate cry into thin air. It's a relationship with a God who now has revealed himself to me. And I know that he loves me. And I know that he cares for me. And I know that he's going to give to me what it is that I need. Whatever is true, brethren, think on these things. Bring all of your fears and worries to the God who knows about them better than you do. And who cares about them more deeply than you do. And who loves you better than anyone on the face of the earth. Better than you can even love yourself. He loves you because he knows what's in your best interest. You often love yourself according to selfish motives and desires, according to sinful inclinations. He, he loves you after the image of his beloved son, of shaping you into the fashion of his glory. 
The Apostle Paul, as he's speaking to the church at Philippi, he's saying to them, listen, I want you to have a communion with the God of peace. I want you to have a communion with the God of peace. And if you're going to experience the communion of the God of peace, you've got to know the God of that peace. You've got to think through it. You see, when I first began to experience some of those fears, and I know many of you did as well, you know, you watched or read uh, too much news, and then you, you click out of it or you turn it off and you think to yourself, this is, this is it, like this is, this is, this is the apocalypse, this is, this is the end, and uh, I, don't, I don't know, you know, I'm going to go ahead and, and cash out my bank account, and I'm going, you know, you start thinking down the line, like it's just, it's all over, you know, that, that pathway begins to be grooved in your, your mind, and then someone comes along and whispers some of these rich truths, or the Lord in His kindness brings you these truths, and you know what begins to happen in your soul? All that anxiety that was there begins to go, peace. It's the peace of God communing with you. That's God saying, let your mind be consumed with me, not consumed with your circumstances. And know that the God that I am is God of your circumstances. And the God of your circumstances loves you in the midst of the circumstances. And I promise to do only that which is for your blessing, for your redemption. As Paul speaks to the church here at Philippi, he, he knows that they're anxious about persecution and strife. He, he knows that their life is in turmoil. But he also knows that they know the truth. And so you might ask the question, why is it that the Apostle Paul, why did he come back to this truth? They already know it. Well, you know the answer to that. Because you forget it. You forget it. You need to be stirred up. By the way of the truth every single day. Don't you, don't you find that? Like right now you're saying to yourself, I so need to hear these truths. And you know what? Tomorrow morning, you'll be, they'll be a million miles away from you. Unless what? You stir your heart up with them. Unless you think, mull, ponder, meditate on these things. That word for truth is the word for certainty, surety. It means to be tested, to be proven beyond a shadow of a doubt that no one can prove it wrong. It's utterly, completely consistent with reality. He says, when you think those thoughts that I've revealed to you in the Word and revealed to you in the Gospel, that's when you have a rock in the midst of a chaotic sea. And God is calling us into that sort of reality. To learn, as Martin Lloyd-Jones said years ago in his wonderful book, Spiritual Depression, he says the problem that many of us face and the reason we're so unhappy <laughs> so much of the time is that we listen to ourselves rather than talk to ourselves. We get up in the morning and our, all kinds of thoughts, worries, fears, things, vying for your attention. He said we listen to them and they stress us out. And he says until you learn to preach the truth to yourself, or have someone else help you. You know what it's like to be in a situation where it doesn't matter. It's like you're reading the Word and it's just not getting in. I you, go to someone, ask them to pray for you aloud in your presence. And speak truths into your heart. Do whatever it takes to pause in that moment that truth would get in. So that a solid place would be given to you. The God of peace would be your communion. Now let me tell you this, friends. The reason we know that this is a certain confident place for us as believers in Christ to stand is that our Christ has entered the chaos for us and he has said to it hush that's what our Christ has done when he was on the cross you think there was turmoil you, you think there was a 
there was, there was, there was conflict? Do you, th- do you think there was, there was chaos going on around him? And do you know where his mind was stayed in the midst of it? He was staring out at the people who were killing him, and his spirit and his sentiment was, Lord, forgive them, for they know not what they do. His mind was focused upon God. His mind was focused upon the mission. And here's the reality. Is that every time your mind wanders and gets caught up in fears and loses sight of the truth, every time that happens... Remind yourself of this. This is why Christ died for me. I am faithless, but he is faithful. And he has given himself for me. And I am in him. And there is now nothing that can separate me from the love of God in Christ Jesus my Lord. Not either life, nor death, nor wars, nor pestilence, nor coronavirus. Nothing can separate me from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And you see, this God who has not even spared his own son, can we not with confidence say, will he not freely give us all things? Yes, he will. What Paul says, when we are whatever is true, our minds are thinking there, we will find peace in the midst of whatever storm. So by God's grace today, you have found this space And these moments of truth, a safe harbor from which you can now launch out, put your bark to the water, and remember you always have safekeeping with the God who has promised to care for you and who has given his own son for you. Let's pray to that end. Father in heaven, we would ask you now to confirm these truths and portion them out in just the way needed for each and every one of us in this room. Come and meet us. And glorify yourself as we give our hearts over to you. And we ask you to do what only you can do. Which is change us from the inside out. We ask it in Jesus name. Amen.